0: on this day of uh, loveliness outside. Did you all hear the rain and thunder last night? So cool. I don't know about you guys, but I grew up in Southern California, and it never, ever rains. We are now in July. I mean, it's just inconceivable to me (laughs) that you can have this kind of rain with big fat drops. You know, I was thinking of the poor insects running around trying to dodge these bombs of, you know, (laughs) poor guys. They must have something, you know, they must like, if they get hit by one of these things, they must have some kind of survival mechanism where they bounce around or something and don't get hurt (laughs) because you never think about it. Anyway, it was fun for me. Then there was lightning—not uh, yet yeah, lightning—and thunder. What a blessing it is to be alive and to be able to experience rain. You know, I mean, it's easy for me not to take it for granted because I live in a place still where water is precious. You know, even now I can't believe I turn on the water in the m- morning to brush my teeth. And in California, you have to turn the water immediately off, you know. Everybody's sensitive to water, but here it's like the water, and it was running down the street, you know, and wasting all of this pure, clean water. can't believe it. Take it for granted. It's amazing. Then the puffy clouds, and it it makes a great... Am I going on too much? (laughs) You know, it makes a beautiful sunset, right, and then the sun goes down, it makes everything pink it 's incredible. I was sitting in my backyard the other day, and um, not my backyard it 's actually somebody else's home, but sitting in the backyard, and I was sitting you know meditating, listening. It was in the early evening, and the birds were singing their goodbyes, you know for the night. They were all going to be going to bed soon, and I was Sitting there listening, and I just was overwhelmed with gratitude. And and then a friend of mine came over, and uh, I turned around. You know, my eyes were a little puffy. I it was because of gratitude. You know, sometimes you tear up because of gratitude. <laughs> do you do that? Yeah, good. So um, yeah, and then she asked me right away if something was wrong, and I hardly had the words to explain to her. Nothing was wrong. It was just life was so, such a gift, such a blessing. In d- in disguise, no, it's right out there, all the time. Okay, so let's <laughs> let's continue. So I want to talk a little bit about um, I want to talk a little bit about relationship and kind of end that part of the talk that I didn't finish last time. And then go on to talk about what's going to be happening at Zen Center in a few, not in one week, actually in one week. And while I think about it, I want to thank people who have risen to the occasion. We have tried to make a container for. Maybe I should tell you what's happening in a week. Um, We in a week we're going to be doing this series of ceremonies that take a week of ceremonies plus two weeks of bowing and other things that they do in preparation. In fact, before that, for a whole year, there's a year of study. So it's a year of study and then two weeks of bowing and other things and then ten days, really, of an intense series of ceremonies culminating in two ceremonies at night. and. Um, Usually you do this kind of thing in a monastery, and so it's easy in a monastery because everything you need is there and the container is already there, and we have none of it. We had no things, so we had to buy and make and rent and beg and all kinds of things we need. So my office in the other room is like, it looks like uh, Christmas, you know, it has all these priest accoutrements and, fun things that we're gathering and have to be wrapped and I mean it's just endless activity. And then the community needs to make a container that we need to hold for these two people who are going to go through this, which I'm going to talk about later. And I didn't know what was going to happen because it's it's not a monastery and everybody has jobs and work. Are people going to be able to make this kind of uh, effort for these to create these two teachers is what 's going to happen and um, and yes, you know our community has in every way i mean people we have people picking them up and ta- oh, and three teachers are coming from the West coast to do this, which is amazing and um, so we have people going to the airport and picking them up and making them food, and we have uh, cheedening has to be done every day, and flowers have to be kept fresh, and things have to be put together, and food has to be made in two different places and 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 more things that i can 't remember right now <laughs> and so many people are helping i mean isn 't it right it 's like it 's like a map of connectivity from the community teams of this kind of people and that kind of people it's just so heartening and so grateful it's a beautiful thing to see and one of the uh, what one of the one of the most important things that this uh, ceremony is about, the ceremony is called transmission, is about intimacy, which is why I've been talking about relationship. In Zen, intimacy is a key, not just concept, a key uh, lived experience? If there is no intimacy, there is no authenticity. And if there is not a deep understanding of one's own original fundamental nature, there is no, let me just say this, there is no possibility of intimacy real intimacy, intimacy not based on need, not based on expectation, not based on identity of any kind, but an intimacy that grows out of unconditioned love, love that's not uh, particular, but a love that is, in fact, our true nature. We all fundamentally are not just capable of, but in, a, in, even, a, in even a better way of putting it is, we actually are this unconditioned love. It's just clouded over. And so this ceremony is uh, pointing to that kind of meeting. So let me just go over, so the last time I spoke, I spoke of relationship in three ways and I gave a sense of how to practice with it. So when our relationships are full of delusion and need and comparative mind and grasping and aversion, the basic practice there is to just stay with it, just tuck under your arm, whatever is happening, try your best. That's when we do a lot of drama you know that's when we our our emotions are you know peaks of passion and peak, you know peaks of whatever and valleys and depths of despair and and uh you know. feeling alone and lonely and grasping to hide from those feelings. Yeah, I don't have to describe it. I think we're familiar with that. (laughs) And then the next stage that I was talking about is you begin to see a pattern. You begin to have a sense of, okay, if I, if I, my mindfulness, if I can pay at least enough attention, instead of blaming the other person for everything from making me unhappy to expecting that they're going to make me happy, <laughs> we begin to have a sense that actually I am responsible for my own emotional state and I am responsible for my own behavior. <laughs> you would think that that's a natural... Uh, idea, you know, for us, but it's not. Um, When we are in this particular stage of relationship, we are projecting out our own inadequacy and our own need onto the other person. So at this stage what we're trying to do is at least have an inkling of taking responsibility. The relationship is still bouncy, There is still a lot of need and expectation, but at least you're beginning not to blame the other person for everything and starting to have a sense that uh, if I just look this way enough, I can... This is the place of growth. Not over there. Not uh, trying to fix the relationship, and then everything is going to be okay. If this person just talked to me in a different tone of voice, I wouldn't get angry. No. you take responsibility for your own anger. Always. That's the second kind of stage in relationship. And the third kind of stage is that our... Oh, so the practice for that stage is basically patience. Stay with it. Be patient. You're on the right track. Keep developing awareness. Keep trying to develop a mind that's strong enough to catch your own patterns as they're happening. Then the next thing that happens is the tension or mindfulness is strong enough so you actually see your side of the pattern. And there are numbers of patterns, right? So sometimes we can be very mature with one part of ourselves in relationship and another part is still completely in delusion. So for the pattern that you're watching, which sometimes has to happen over and over and over, especially with our families where we learnt these things, 100 times before you really stop, look this way, and are able to see your part of the pattern. What is it on this side that you're afraid of? How is it that you're getting hurt? How are you defending yourself? Where are you grasping? What are the unconscious expectations? What are you hiding from that you have never wanted to feel? So all the arrows begin looking this way. And then you have a chance. So at this, at this stage, you, you finally face the underlying cause of this destructive pattern that you've been doing. Uh, Sometimes you can stop, well most of the time at this point, you can stop the pattern even though sometimes you know what the pattern is, you know that it's going to cause pain for you and sometimes the other person, and you still do it anyway. And that's a very embarrassing time. But that's why patience is necessary. You don't have to start judging yourself or your partner. You're just patient with yourself. You know you're on the right track you're mindful enough, you're watching this pattern, you know when it comes up, you go down to the deepest triggering emotion or thought pattern, you're able to stay with it, but your mindfulness is not quite strong enough to completely stop the pattern... yet. So the relationship is still kind of woozy, but it's at least more grounded. Then what happens if you're still practicing is you're paying more attention, your mindfulness is strong enough, you do see the pattern, you feel the underlying, almost always it's hurt or fear, you're able to stay with it, and you don't do the behavior anymore. At that point it's really interesting. You begin to act differently, your partner maybe notices, certainly doesn't notice the first time this happens and relates to you in the old way, but you don't react, you stay with your new behavior, eventually your partner notices, especially if they're doing their side of practicing, and what happens for you is you don't do the old behavior, but you don't have another behavior to do. The only thing you're doing is trying to not do the old behavior you understand this and this is a really interesting time in relationship because it's a huge place of potential and the reason what we have often what happens which i recommend not doing is we imagine some kind of behavior that's a better behavior to do and we implement that but usually that's not right. it's I, almost never is that right because that's an intellectual thing and what that does is it's filling in this gap and you want the gap. You want to be able to have enough presence of mind to stay still and open and not know. This place of not knowing is really important because that, in that gap, first of all, you're in touch with your fundamental nature, which is groundless. It is open. You are receptive. And just wait and watch and feel. Shut this thing off. It's never helpful, this thing. I was going to say almost never, but it's never. It It doesn't have the answers for life. It doesn't know how to live your life. Don't go there. Just wait. So the practice at that point is being able to have the courage to not know. So at this point you're clear about what the pattern is on your side and you're just watching how you're going to respond, not from the old place, but from not knowing. And then you have a chance of really being your authentic self because authenticity comes from that place from a heart place, from an open place, from a place that doesn't know. And what's happening there is what we can call an ego, that's an egoic pattern, at that point is dead. So the next stage is very interesting because it's also um, a place of practice, really, a place of practice. And sometimes we we live through this but we don't quite understand what's happening. What's happening is that part of yourself that is the old conditioned pattern has died. So part of your your ego structure has died. And because these patterns have no intrinsic structure, uh, they have structure but they don't have a base, if you see deeply enough and feel deeply enough and, cons- and see how your uh, egoic structure is built, that in itself, that seeing, that light really of wisdom, that light of wisdom, it sh- it, it's like remembering the Wizard of Oz when the witch, the wicked witch, by accident, water, there's fire, remember, and um, uh, what was her name? Who was it? Dorothy, thank you. Dorothy with her friends, right? And uh, the, there's the straw man and there's fire and a friend tries to put out the fire of the straw man. They're in danger and they're trapped with the monkeys. Oreo, Rio. Did you know that that's what they're saying? Oreo, the cookie. Orio, oh, Rio, Rio. Listen. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so the, the water is thrown and the water gets all over the witch and the witch melts. The wicked witch melts. It's just like that. It's like the me, me, I'm melting, melting. And that's what happens. If you see, it's like water poured on this particular structure and it melts away. And this is a a real taste of freedom. And it comes from feeling the deepest kind of suffering that we do not want to feel. Some of us spend our life trying to run away from these basic hurts and fears. That's not the way to freedom. It's not the way to an authentic relationship. It's through the suffering. And on the other side of this suffering is emptiness, is this gap out of which your true authentic being arises. So from this death comes birth and the relationship, a new relationship has to be born. It's very strange. And you don't know what's going to happen. It may be that your partner has come with you through this what usually is called a disaster right these because you want to kill them right when they're you, you've had it's been tough it's not been easy, but here you are on the other side, and if your partner makes it with you through to the other side, there's this welling up of real gratitude <laughs> you know for sticking with you while you've been this jerk you know. That's why, you know, that's what happens in a monastery. You go through this with other people and they, they're there with you on the other side and you begin, you begin to be real friends with people who have walked with you through this fire. Now, and then for a while there's this wonderful peace in relationship, right? Everybody's made up, you're figuring out a new way to behave, going to go on forever, you're never going to have trouble again. (laughs) Now of course there's trouble again because everybody's growing at different rates. You're growing at different rates because your difficult patterns are, you know, maybe one is gone and dissolved but then there's this other one that you're completely attached to as me and right and so on, the way things should be done. And your partner is doing the same thing. So there's going to inevitably there's going to be, which is great, because that's the opportunity of relationship, that we're a mirror for each other. And we get to, instead of being in a monastery, you're in this teeny monastery, and if you don't run away, and if you make a commitment to it on your side alone, and the other person makes it with you through these times of difficulty. Yeah, if you've ever seen a relationship where both people are, you know, older and have have worked on their rela- relationship, takes work. It is not a given. They have a wonderful. It's wonderful to see, you know. It's really. It's a, it's a lovely. Uh, it's lovely. So in my um, ongoing uh, love affair with Toni Morrison. And the last quote, by the way, the last time I was talking, it was from The Bluest Eye. This one, again, I don't remember where I got it from, but the first Toni Morrison quote was all about delusion, if you remember. It was a fabulous... She has a Pulitzer Prize, right? Do you know what book it was from? No? Well, she deserved What? Beloved. beloved, was it be- yeah, beloved probably. You know, Tony I was thinking this morning, Tony Morrison a- I was Tony Morrison, Pulitzer Prize winner. And I was gonna say, okay, Tony Morrison, for anybody who doesn't know who this is, African American writer. Woman writer. I could have said that right. Woman writer? Could have been T O N Y man. No. Woman writer, African American writer. Then I thought to myself, African American. Okay, African American. Why? Why is it African American? Because I'm first generation American. So why am I, Why aren't I Jewish American? Or you know, white American? Why is it everybody else except white people have a dash? Why is that? I thought, (laughs) and besides, white people ought not to have a dash anyway. I mean, should have a dash because it was only the Indian people who should be called American first, right? So I think we should do that. Euro-American. But, wouldn't that be weird? It <laughs> sounds weird, but something, something should happen, right? Because our, excuse me for being somewhat political, but because I really feel strongly if the United States doesn't face our history in the way that Germany has faced its history with its disaster, they teach it in school with their kids. They make their kids go through the entire situation that happened. It's amazing the responsibility they've taken for. Have we taken responsibility for genocide of the entire, almost the entire Native American population? That we're founded on genocide this country? Founded on genocide, built on slavery. When are we going to actually say that? our Founding Fathers, freedom for everybody, well, have they put it, for all of us, which I love, I mean, it's wonderful what they did. I'm not taking anything back. But all men, first of all, all men are created equal, but okay, we won't go there. All men are created equal and they were slave owners. What were they thinking? Anyway, I'm looking forward to this. Um, I just read the other day that there's going to be an African-American museum in on the mall I really want to I want to I'm interested to see what that's going to be like if they're going to really say what it was like and then all of the wonderful culture and so on that we claim as Americans that come out of African-American culture I want to see and then there's another one in Virginia I think that they're trying to make I, I would love it for all of us to be proud of that. But we can't all be proud of it until we give it back to Native, for not Native, but, well, Na- I went to the Native American Museum in Washington. It's not so good. It could have been way better. I was really ashamed. So I want this one to be really good. Because we can't really claim that culture until we really confront the entire history. I feel, anyway. So here is Toni Morrison, the other side of relationship when it's really uh, good. Let me tell you about love. That silly word you believe is about whether you like somebody or whether somebody likes you or whether you can put up with somebody in order to get something or some place you want to, or you believe, no, some place you want, or you believe it has to do with how your body responds to another body, like robins or bison. Or maybe you believe love is how forces of nature or luck is benign to you in particular, not maiming or killing you, but if so, doing it for your own good. Did, did, did you understand that? Should I read that again? I didn't understand it myself. Sorry. Let me tell you about love. That silly word you believe is about whether you like somebody or whether somebody likes you, or whether you can put up with somebody in order to get something or some place you want. Or you believe it has to do with how your body responds to another body, like a robin or bison. Or maybe you believe love is how forces of nature or luck are benign to you in particular, not maiming you or killing you. Love is none of that. There is nothing in nature like it, not in robins or bison or in the banging tails of your hunting dogs and not in blossoms or suckling fowl. Love is divine only and difficult always. If you think it is easy, you are a fool. If you think it is natural, you are blind. It is a learned application without reason or motive except that it is God. You do not deserve love regardless of the suffering you have endured. You do not deserve love because somebody did you wrong. You do not deserve love just because you want it. You can only earn, by practice and careful contemplations, the right to express it and you have to learn how to accept it. Which is to say, you have to earn God. You have to practice God. You have to think God carefully. And if you are good and diligent, if you are a good and diligent student, you may secure the right to show love. Love is not a gift. It is a diploma. (laughs) A diploma conferring certain privileges. The privilege of expressing love and the privilege of receiving it. Old expectations finally give way, old movies stop running, and a much larger acceptance than they believed possible can start opening up between them. As they become willing to face and embrace whatever stands between them, old relational wounds from the past, personal pathologies, difficulties hearing and understanding each other, different values and sensitivities, all in the name of loving and letting be, they are invited to enter into reality. Then it becomes possible to start encountering each other nakedly in the open field of nowness, fresh and unfabricated, the field of love forever vibrating with unimagined possibilities." Now, doesn't that sound like a pr- practitioner? Right? She's great. So it's a practice. you know, it does it does actually because she's not excuse me for saying so, Tony, I, I beg your pardon, but, but the real depth of us, which maybe Tony doesn't quite know about, is that actually we are it is our birthright to be this unconditioned love. And yet, just like Dogen says, and yet, so in other words, Dogen would say practice and realization is one. We are all awake, we all have Buddha mind, but we, don't, we can't know it unless it's realized. And in the same way, even though we are totally, our fundamental nature is this open-hearted, unconditional love in response to everything that is what we are, same, fundamental, you know, joyous in each uniqueness. We don't want to erase uniqueness. But equal to the uniqueness is this sameness that's running through everything. But we can't realize it unless we practice, unless we go through the mind of delusion, unless we go into the pain and through the pain until our conditioned egoic systems are seen so clearly that they melt away and a taste, a true taste and sense of our true nature has a a space to arise. This is our practice. It's a practice of love. It's a practice of intimacy. That's why we offer a relationship with the teacher and we offer sangha so we can work this way with each other. And all of the teachings help us. When Suzuki Roshi said to Reb, when Reb is Reb, or when you are you, Zen is Zen, this is what he's talking about. It's all about true meeting. And I have a poem for you. This is one of my favorite poems. I heard it when I was at the beginning of practice and I, it was, I couldn't understand they're talking about. But it's, this is what they're talking about. It's a poem by Genryo, and it was given to me by Isan Dorsey, who was one of my great uh, champions at Zen Center. I, I needed a champion. I didn't. <laughs> I was so loony. Nobody thought I would be anything, you know. Ever. They put up with me. They were patient. Took a long time. It's and it's still. You know, I'm still working on it for sure. But I did have him. I had like him and Darlene, Leslie, who's coming here to help. I only needed you. Only need one or two friends. That's all you need. All right. Here's the poem. It's called True Friendship. In true friendship, intimacy transcends alienation. Between meeting and not meeting, no difference. On the old, fully blossomed plum tree, south branch owns the whole spring. North branch owns the whole spring. True friendship. Intimacy transcends alienation. Between meeting and not meeting, no difference. On the old, fully blossomed plum tree, south branch owns the whole spring. North branch owns the whole spring. So now I want to tell you a little bit about these, uh, what's called transmission. If you remember the story, Buddha was sitting in the midst of his assembly, and he reached out and he picked up a flower. And Mahakashapa smiled. And in that moment, there was a recognition, a wor- word, wordless recognition between Shakyamuni and Mahakashapa. They met and they understood each other's mind, heart. So in Chinese, for example, the word xin means heart-mind. We separate heart-mind, right? No. Heart-mind. Awakened heart, open mind. Xin. And in our lineage, we accept that as the first warm hand to warm hand. You've heard this phrase also in Zen. The the teaching is passed warm hand to warm hand. What does that mean? It means from one living being to another living being. From one person who has done their work to another person who has done their work. It's not intellectual. It's beyond words. It's an intimate meaning between two people who recognized shin, same, in each person. And for soto zen, we believe in this warm hand to warm hand to warm hand through all the way from Buddha to myself. I have been given the truth of the Buddha's teaching from my teacher. Not really given, it's a recognition, right? You do your own work. You wake up yourself. Teacher doesn't give you anything. Teacher is waiting, really, if I may put it this way, for us to get over ourselves. (laughs) And I have enormous gratitude for each of those each person who did their work so that I could be given these teachings, so I could be free. And when I went through this uh, ceremony with my teacher, at the the end there's a part of the ceremony that says, I think I wrote it down somewhere. Well, anyway, the gist of it is, um, I now give you this particular priestly thing that has been given to me I now I now give this to you. Please take care of it and don't let it be cut off in the future. So you're given both recognition and a responsibility. This truth is a human truth. It's not, you know, the. It's not. It's not. Uh, um, what am I trying to say here? It's not. Uh, it's not a Buddhist. It's not even Buddhist. It's human a human thing, and there are many paths, monastic Catholicism, Jewish, you know Mahama Islam, Hindu they're all it's a human truth, but it's very hard to do this alone. So you need to find a path and a teaching and a teacher that resonates with you. and then you do your, you, you pick a, you pick a path. And then you go that path deeply, and then again you can look and chop around and so on. But pick a path and go deep in that path. Your awakening is your responsibility. And when you, and when you feel deeply your own pain and you work through all of your first, you know, um, conditioned, more superficial pains and hurts and so on and then you get to the really deep questions of self, the truth of no self, of impermanence, dependent co-arising and emptiness and so on and so forth. And then you meet another teacher who understands that you've done that work and they see you, they see themselves in you and you see them and you meet knowing that place. This is transmission. Whether it's in Buddhism or some other way. So, at this point, the person is not done by any means. (laughs) It's an endless path, you know. But ripe enough, ripe enough to know how to point, ripe enough to be able to support other people without needing anything back from them, ripe enough to walk with other people in their pain without needing to fix them, ripe enough to accept each person the way they are without conditions, ripe enough to have faith in their true nature, knowing that if they work diligently, courageously courageously enough, with enough determination, they can be free. ripe enough to be open, to meet people when they're, when they're ready, to meet people naked, without expectations, without judgment, with love, just offering this path to anyone who wants to walk it and willing to walk with them till they can walk on their own. So this is a wonderful, for me, a wonderful celebratory event because I will have done my responsibility. I have two terrific new teachers that I will be transmitting to, recognizing and handing them this responsibility. They're not finished, I'm not finished, nobody's finished, but ripe enough. So um, we do a kind of an arcane and archaic and a very kind of tantric uh, ten days that are coming up and I just again want to thank everyone who has supported this. It's just so much work. (laughs) And uh, you guys have just been heroic. I mean, you're just coming forward in all kinds of ways. And I hope you meet each other, you know, in that effort that you can see each other because it's just a wonderful thing. Um, it's a private ceremony. The ceremony is private. <laughs> the whole thing is private. And, uh, but on the, there are times when you guys, you know, will be doing things and then there'll be a reception the evening of the 18th to um, congratulate these two wonderful people, Pam, Pamela, Pam and Greg. They'll be giving a short teeny-weeny Dharma offering. And gratitude, I'm sure by the end of it they'll feel, I think, I hope, uh, grateful. And um, then we'll have a teeny reception. So that's what's happening. I guess that's enough. Because <laughs> they the don't want to move to the bell, so I'm sure I'm supposed to stop. <laughs> Thank you again for coming, and uh, and uh, I think Zen Center, we're closed certainly for next week. And then I think, do we not have talks on Saturday for a while, or...? Uh, yeah, no we'll talks until the one-day sit on the 23rd of oh? uh, July. Of oh, July. Oh, okay. A one-day sit. Oh, great. Good. Good. <laughs> you have to sit. I can't tell you enough. If you don't sit, forget it. You have to sit. Okay. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center. Our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive. For more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center, please visit the giving section of BrooklynZen.org.